Exodus chapter 33, and if you're just joining us, um, we're going through the Bible, well, we're going through Exodus right now, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and um, it's been a few weeks. Um, last week, I gave the Russia update, and I was telling somebody before service, it seems like that was a month ago, because just catching up on sleep and everything else, but tonight, we get to resume um, our study through the amazing book of Exodus. And when I last taught um, in chapter 33, we left off in verse 16. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 17. The goal is to get through 33:17 through 34 verse 9. But I got to be honest with you. I don't know if that's going to happen. We may just have to tackle all of chapter 34 next week. Let's see how this first chunk goes because um, there's just some wonderful stuff in front of us, some deep waters. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive in with both feet, okay? Father, again, we desire that we would see Jesus through the Scriptures tonight. And we acknowledge that if we just read this tonight and we rely on our own ability to just understand, we're going to be confused. We're not going to get it because these are spiritual things, and we need your Holy Spirit to discern for us and to teach us and I'm sure there's general truths for all of us, but I pray that you give us those specific words that are just right for what we are going through and in our lives tonight. And we just look to you now with dependence, but with expectancy in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, because it's been a few weeks since we've been in Exodus, I thought it would be a good idea to just give just a little bit of review. We won't go back super far, but just to kind of bring us up to where we are right now, since we're kind of like mid-paragraph. So um, quickly, keep in mind that Moses and the children of Israel have been encamped at Mount Sinai uh, for quite a while. And Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days, a meeting with God, and he was getting the Ten Commandments. He was getting the, the plans for the tabernacle. We spent many, many weeks, um, you know, going through that. But you guys remember what happened after that 40 days. He came off the mountain uh, because there was a great sound. Something sounded almost like a battle, but actually it was just a, a, like a dance party going on down below in the valley because Aaron, uh, under the pressure of the people, had made an idol. They were all like Egyptian style worshiping around this thing and it was just a gross display of immorality and gnarliness and uh, so Moses comes down off the mountain with the brand new fresh right off the press Ten Commandments and smashes them throws them on the ground really kind of in an outward way demonstrating what they were actually doing breaking all the commandments and it was at that point that a very significant thing happened because God basically said, Moses, and I'm, I'm obviously summarizing. Please go back and read it if, if you think I'm like a little too loose with this. But um, basically what God said was, Moses, would you step aside? I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to start over with you. And at that point, Moses intercedes for the people, which we talked about was God's heart all along. Wanted Moses, drew Moses into that. But Moses basically said, God, you can't do that. And he based his intercession for them on God's word, on God's glory, and saying, God, if you do that, what will the Egyptians think? And it goes on and on. So wonderfully, God says, okay, I'm not going to kill them all, and uh, I'm going to show mercy. But there was a little caveat to that. He says, but here's the thing. As you leave this place and go into the land of promise, 
My presence isn't going to go with you. Oh, I'll send an angel to lead you in the way. When Moses heard that, and when the people heard that, it was like an, a, quote, evil report. They were not okay with that. And then, so in the paragraph right before verse 17 that we're going to start reading here in a second, this is where Moses intercedes again. And he says, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, then we don't want to go. Don't send me. Don't move me out unless your presence goes with me. And I think I mentioned a few weeks ago when we were in that section, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. God, if your presence doesn't go with me, then I don't want to go. Then don't send us up because I, he was in essence saying, I would rather stay at Mount Sinai with all this craziness than go into the land of promise and have all those blessings and not have your, I would rather have your presence than all those blessings is what I'm trying to say. Amen. And he says, I just, I can't, we cannot make a move without your presence. And I, I, we talked a lot about that. It was kind of the, the heartbeat of the, of the last sermon. So here's what happens. God answers that prayer. And that's right where we pick up. And basically he just says, okay, I will go with you. My presence will go with you. And so these wonderful moments of intercession by Moses for the people. And God says, okay. And God says, okay. And God goes, says, okay. Now, that's where we're picking up the story and we're going to see something wonderful. In verse 17 and following, it says this. And the Lord said to Moses, the very thing that you have spoken, I will do. And that was what I just mentioned to you about him going up with them. He says, because you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And he, that is God, said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, because man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, or my back part, or some translations even say afterglow. But my face um, you shall not see, or shall not be seen. This is a very famous portion of Scripture, whether you know that or not, it actually is. Where Moses prays to God, and says, show me your glory. And that's what I'm going to take a few minutes to talk about. We're going to look at, number one, if you're a note taker, we're going to look at, number one, Moses' request, which is very simple. And then we're going to look at, number two, God's response. Moses' request and God's response. Number one, Moses' request. He says, listen, I love this. After all of the intercession, after all the things that God has already answered, God, don't kill him, okay. God, go with us, okay. And God, I got one more thing. Please show me your glory. This is an amazing prayer on a lot of different levels. But what is it that, God, that Moses was asking? When he says, when he was saying, show me your glory, what is it that he was actually asking God to do? You probably know this because I know Pastor Steve, and I know that he, and by the way, we need to pray for him. I was going to do that because he's not feeling well, him and Anna. So let's pause right now. Father, we pray. Uh, forgive me for forgetting. Would you please heal up Pastor Steve and Anna, get him back on their feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 
But knowing Steve, I know that he teaches these things well. The word for glory there is in the Hebrew, at least the root word is, kabod. And the meaning of that is literally to be heavy or weightiness, W-E-I-G-H-T, weight, to carry weight, the glory of God. You might remember like in the future from this event, when they uh, dedicate the tabernacle and then beyond that, the temple, when they do the dedication, it says the glory of God came into that place and the priests were so overwhelmed with the weighty realness of God's presence that they couldn't even stand. They fall on their face because of the, the, the very, just the sense of God's actual presence there. Are you guys tracking with me? So what, what Moses is asking is this. He's saying basically, God, I want more. I want all of it. I want you to give me the full-on, unabridged, like, undiluted, full revelation and manifestation of your splendor and glory and majesty. How many of you guys think that that was pretty dang bold by Moses? (laughs) That was amazingly bold. What I love, and we'll look at God's response in a minute, but in a very simple way, God was like, that's cute, Moses. (laughs) He doesn't say, who do you think you are? In a sense, he says yes and no, and we'll talk about that in a second. But but I love this request. I love this request, and I think what really got me this time through as I've read this is a word that I'm sure I've read before, but I just haven't noticed before. And it's this word in verse 18. It's the word please. Moses says, please, God. Show me your glory. Now, when he uses the word please, you need to understand something. He's not using good manners. It's not that he was just, it's not like God would have said, like, if, if Moses would have said, show me your glory, God wouldn't have responded with, what's the magic word? You know, like, that's not the idea of the word please. In fact, the word please in the original language is pronounced, I think, and I could be very wrong in this, na in a, and it means this, to beg, to pray, with an emphasis, or it says, make an emphasis with a focus on the desire of the speaker, and it's used to heighten a sense of urgency. That's the actual definition. Let me read it again. To beg, pray, make emphasis with a focus on the desire of the speaker, used to heighten a sense of urgency. For example, the word Hosanna. Hosanna, right? Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. It's that same word, please. And the idea is the word Hosanna means save us now. You guys feel that urgency? And what just made this come alive to me today, this last couple days as I've been looking at this, is that when Moses prayed to God and said, God, show me your glory, he said, please, I am begging you with desperation and passion and urgency. I need more of you, God. Reveal more of yourself to me. Now, this is what I love about that. Moses, you're greedy. I don't even mean greedy, but think about this, guys. Think about Moses' experience. Is there any other man or woman that's ever lived that has already experienced God like Moses did? When he was 40 years old, He was on the backside of the desert. Excuse me, 80 years old. (laughs) He's on the backside of the desert, and there's the burning bush. And God himself revealed himself to Moses 
in a burning bush that was a flame but actually wasn't burning, and the voice of God came out of that bush and called Moses and revealed himself. It's at the burning bush that God told Moses his name. God told Moses his name, Yahweh. That's a pretty amazing experience. And then from there, he goes into Egypt. Miracle after miracle after sign, the plagues, the Red Sea opening, manna from heaven, that God was doing through Moses. They would get in trouble. Moses would pray. God would speak to him. As they moved on, Moses saw a pillar of fire at night, a pillar of, of cloud during the day. Are you guys tracking with me? Later on, he goes up the mountain for 40 days, and he's in the very presence of God in some way because a cloud comes down on the mountain. There's fire on the mountain, not to mention that before that, God's audible voice came booming off the mountain, and others heard it too, not just Moses. My point is, he's had the, the burning bush incident. He's had miracles. He's had prayer life where God answers him back. He sees a pillar of fire, a pillar of clouds. He's talking to God, it says, in the tent of meeting face to face with God and here's what I love then Moses says yeah 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 but God I want more show me please now I beg you I want to see more of you show me your glory I need some of that I don't know about you but guys I think the church of Jesus Christ needs some of that because I know how I am. I am far too satisfied with things that actually don't satisfy. I am far too easily contented not having the presence of God in my life. And what Moses was saying is, I want to experience you, God. I want the unveiled manifestation of your majesty in my life. You know, in certain circles of Christianity, and, and we might even be touching that one, we sometimes demonize the idea of having experiences. And I know the reason for that, because there's this pendulum sh shift where it's like over here where there's a, a part of the church that all they're ever doing is searching for some kind of new experience with God, and it's usually at the expense of solid biblical doctrine. I understand that. But those of us who swing to the other side of solid biblical doctrine can sometimes substitute doctrine for actually experiencing God. I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think we need both. Amen? We need to have very real, fresh experiences with God. And the purpose of Bible study is not to memorize Scripture. It's not, it's not to just know stuff. It's so that we can experience the Lord and be drawn into a closer relationship with Him. Amen? And I think what's lacking in a lot of people's lives is they are, they've not really experienced the touch of God in their life. And listen, once you have, you're spoiled. Because from that point on, that's all you want. Now, please hear what I'm saying. Don't report back to Pastor Steve. Jason says we should all be seeking experiences. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, is that we, if we're not careful, can turn Christianity into some cerebral thing that it's not meant to be. This isn't all about just in the head from the neck up. God wants to be in every part of our lives. And, and I think, like I said earlier, to overstate myself now, is that I personally am far too easily satisfied and contented with less than more of the Lord in my life. And I want more of what Moses had. I want to say, God, show me your glory. 
I need more of you. I want more of you. Amen. Is there a hunger in anybody besides me that says, I just want more of the Lord, and I want less religion, and I want less fluff, and I want less going through the motions, and I want more actual presence of God in my life. Amen? And that's what Moses is after. Show me. No. Please. Show me your glory. And I want to take a, I want to take a page out of Moses' book there. God, make that my prayer. Make that the prayer of our church. Make that the prayer of the church. Now let's look at the response that God gave. As I already kind of gave it away in verse uh, when I said that he says yes and no. There's three basic things um, that, um, how he responds. The, the first one is he tells Moses what he will do, and then he's going to tell Moses what he won't do, and then he tells Moses what Moses can do. So look at verse 19. And he, that is God, said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll show mercy to whom I will show mercy. I have to admit, just touching these verses, I feel very, very inadequate. I feel very uh, out of my league because some of these things are so deep and so wonderful that literally I just don't feel like I've got the brain power sometimes to, to sift through it all. But I want you to notice something. Moses says, please, God, show me your glory. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cause my goodness to pass before you, and I'm going to proclaim my name to you. Now, that's going to happen, actually, in the first few verses of chapter 34, but I just want to stop here for a second. Notice with me, and again, I don't know exactly what, how to draw everything out of this, but I want you to notice what's connected to the glory of God, his goodness and his name. Connected to the glory of God is his goodness in his name. Moses says, show me your goodness. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to or show me your glory. God says, I'm going to have my goodness pass before you, and I'm going to proclaim my name to you. Now, we could go on and on about that, but let me just, just pause for a second and touch on each one of those for a second. First of all, the goodness of God. I, that's fascinating to me. How, do, how is he going to have his goodness pass before him? What does that mean? What does that look like? I have no idea, but I want you to understand this, that God is good. Amen? Doesn't that just sound so like, well, no, duh. That's like, like church 101, right? God is good. No, 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 no. I want you to understand this. God is good. God doesn't just do good. So God's not good because he does good stuff. God does good stuff because he's good. God is the essence of good. God is only good all the time. He is absolute goodness personified. Amen? And the reason that I point that out is because I believe we have to be very careful, and, I, and it's embarrassing, honestly, how quickly idiots like me, mortals like you, are so quick to call God's goodness into question. Well, if God is good, how could he allow dot, dot, dot? Now, I understand that sentiment. I understand that. Because bad stuff happens in this world, right? And we start we'll saying, well, God is sovereign. God could do anything. He could have stopped that. He could have done this. And now we're delving into a whole another area of God's sovereignty that I am not qualified really to speak of. But this I know. God is good. And everything bad that's in this world is because sin at the fall has absolutely permeated every 
every, every ounce of life as we know it. In our souls, in the culture, everything bad is a direct result of sin that came into the world. Death, cancer, accidents, bad health, all that stuff is a consequence of sin. And God allows those consequences to happen, but at the essence of who God is, he is good. Amen? And I believe Satan will always try to call that into question. I believe it's the, the, the foundation of the first lie that was in, this, in the garden. Has God said that you shouldn't eat of every fruit? Oh, he's just, what's the lie? He's holding out on you. He knows if you eat that fruit of the, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, you're going to be like him. What's the, what's the insinuation? God's holding out the best for you. He's not really, he doesn't really have your best interest in mind. Questioning God's goodness. Our God is good, amen? And if you ever feel like you're questioning that, and by the way, let's just be real for a moment, you're going to come up against things in life where you say, God, if you are good, and I'm so happy that God is big enough to allow us to work through those things, and he understands when we don't understand. But here's one of the keys to get you over that hump. It's Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the great big exclamation point of God's goodness. Amen? That we who are sinners, we who've rebelled, we who have done our part in all of the grossness of this life, and yet he loves us, and yet he sent a savior, and it's the person of Jesus. Well, anyway, God is good, but also it says that he's not only going to let his goodness pass by him, he's also going to let... Uh, he's going to proclaim his name. And then he tells him what the name is, the Lord. Now, notice that you guys are familiar with this, but it's in all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And I know many of you know it, but for the sake of those who maybe don't, whenever you see that capitalized, that's an indication that it's using the actual name of God, which, as I said earlier, was given to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Moses basically said, you're sending me to Pharaoh, they're going to ask, who sent me? What do I tell them? What's your name? And God said, here's my name. I am that I am. I am. And the reason we say Yahweh, we call it the Tetragrammaton, because the idea is, is that basically the Jews held that name in such reverence that they wouldn't even pronounce it or write it. And so they kind of like, in essence, pulled the, the vowels out and just left the consonants. And there's different thoughts and variations on it. But the idea is, is when you see capital Lord, it's using the name of God, Yahweh. I am. And we could talk all night about his name. But his name is important. This is the actual name of God. I am. It doesn't sound much like a name. I've always said it kind of sounds more like an incomplete sentence. <laughs> you know, that's not a name, God. That's an incomplete sentence. I am, yes. What? What are you? But the idea there is, when he says, I am, number one, it speaks of, at the very least, it speaks of his eternal nature. He always was. He always will be. God had no beginning. God has no end. By the way, doesn't that make your brain fry a little bit when you're like, when you try to explain to your kids, well, you see, son, God had no beginning. He was always there. And you're like, but everything has a beginning. But God didn't have a beginning. But how can he not have a beginning? And your brain just starts to seize up because God's eternal. He always was and he always will be. But also, the name I am speaks not only of his eternal nature, but it carries the idea of the becoming one. In other words, God is 
is what? He is and becomes all and everything that you and I will ever, ever, ever need. And so as you go through the Bible, you'll see that name Jehovah with something else tacked on it, and there's this progressive revelation of who God is through his name. I am Genesis 22. Father, here's the sacrifice, but where's the lamb? God will provide a lamb. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He's Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, my banner, my Jehovah Tanit canoe. I just like saying that word. Um, Jehovah, my righteousness. Jehovah, he's, he, and, and you would just have all these things that just further reveal who God is. I need salvation. Well, he's Jehovah salvation, Joshua, Yeshua, the one who saves. I, I need provision. He's Jehovah Jireh. I need peace. He's, and you go on and on and on. All of that culminates, by the way, in the person of Jesus who comes on the scene and there in John chapter 8 basically tells the Pharisees, I am. And they wanted to kill him because he was basically saying what? I, he, Jesus was claiming to be Jehovah. He was saying, I am. And then he said stuff like this, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the good shepherd. I am on and on and on. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. And guys, this is the point. Everything we ever could need is found in the person of Jesus, who is the personification of the great I am. Amen? Just a little stuff to think about. But all that to say, back to our text, God says, well, this is what I can do, Moses. I'm going to have my goodness pass by you, and I'm going to proclaim my name to you. And then he says something he can't do, verse 20. But, he said, you cannot see my face. Here's why. Because, or for man shall not see me um, and live. Now, this brings up a really interesting conversation. But basically what God is saying is this. If I showed you my unveiled glory, Moses, you would die. You cannot handle my glory. You know, I love this passage in 1 Timothy uh, verse six, or chapter 6, verse 16. You can just jot it down, but it says this. Speaking of Jesus or, or the Lord, who alone um, has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see him, be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. God dwells in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen him. No one can see him. But you might say, wait a minute. I read in verse 11 that it said when Moses went into the tent of meeting that he spoke to the Lord face to face. How does that work out? Well, it's either speaking figuratively or he was speaking to Jesus. I had this question just the other day. Genesis 18, because you, you, you have these places in the Old Testament where they're talking to the Lord and they're seeing him and he's called the angel of the Lord. How does that work? That is what we call a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself. You see, listen, Philip, John chapter 14. Jesus, show us the Father and it'll be enough. And what does Jesus say? If you've seen what? Me, you've seen the Father. But to see the glory of the Father, you know, with, without any kind of veiling as a human being, we can't handle that. I was thinking about that. I mean, that's not, that shouldn't be a big surprise. Think about that for a second. A couple years ago when I was still living in Oregon, I don't know how it was on Hawaii, but we had that big eclipse. You guys, anybody remember that? Th was it a really cool eclipse here? 
So in Oregon, we're like right on the path. Literally, people drove from all over the states just to get to our little town so they could see the eclipse because it was going to be like this full eclipse. Now, what was the, what was the, the, the preaching every day on the radio, every day on TV? Don't stare at the sun. Even with a full eclipse, right? You got to wear these special goggles, eight inches thick. You got to like, not that's exaggeration. You got to look through these apparatuses. You got to have these special glasses. But don't, whatever you do, don't look at the sun. Why? It's just veil. It's, it's, it's eclipse. The moon's in front of it. Even if you looked at an eclipse unveiled, you're going to fry your eyeballs, right? Now just think about this. The sun is just one of billions of stars that God just said, be a star. And it was. And God holds the universe in the span of his hand. God is so far outside of space and knows every, he knows the name of every single billion, zillion stars out there. You can tell I'm really educated in all these things, but he knows their name. God spoke them into existence. Is it weird to think that if we saw God in his glory in our human bodies, that we would melt? or something, or blow up, <laughs> just disintegrate. It's not hard to imagine that. So here's, here's why I bring that up. I, I am so excited that, listen, there's coming a day when we die, but then when we're resurrected into new resurrection bodies, bodies that are fit to experience the glory of God. Amen? We can't do it right now. We're super limited, but there's coming a day we're going to be planted in the ground, but we're going to be raised up into a new resurrection body that can experience all of the glory of God, and I'm looking forward to that. Well, God basically just says, Moses, it's cute that you want to see my unveiled glory, but you would explode. You can't do it. And then he says, well, I think we'll end on this tonight. We'll see. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. While my, my, while my glory passes by, and I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by, and then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you can't see. So this is interesting. Again, um, speaking in terms, like human terms, like his hand and, and his face, like, but you have to remember God is spirit. And so it's probably not be talking about literally covering him with his hand, but he basically says this, you can't totally behold my glory, but here's what, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a deal. There's this place, this rock, and you tuck yourself into the cleft of the rock. I'll pass by with my goodness. I'll proclaim my name, and once I've gone by, I'll uncover you, and you can just kind of see the afterglow of my glory. That's about all you can handle, Moses. By the way, that's why we use that corny term in churches sometimes. We're going to have an afterglow. That's kind of where that comes from, just like experiencing the glory of God. It's actually pretty cool. But here's what I love about this. As you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, and kind of all throughout, we, we understand that there's a lot of typology in, in the Old Testament. And one of the most beautiful types is Christ as the rock. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, it was Christ who was the rock that followed him through the wilderness. The point is, the way that you experience, the way that I experience the glory and the presence of God is to be tucked into the cleft of the rock, which is the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's where we see God. I already alluded to it, but that, that John 14 passage is so important. 
where Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. I want to know what God's like. I want to know what Father God's like. Great. Get to know Jesus. Because as you see Jesus, he is God. How do you get to know God? You get to know Jesus. Amen? You tuck yourself into Christ, and that's how you will experience, if you would, the glory of God. Amen? I think we're going to pause there because I know what's coming. And we could rifle through this first nine verses, but it's, it's this passage where God actually does this, and he proclaims his name to Moses. And I don't want to rush through that. I want to take some time next week as God proclaims who he is and reveals himself. We want to take a look at each one of those things that God says about himself. You need to come back and you need to see that because there's 101,000 opinions on who God is or what God is. But God says very clearly who he is. And I think it's an important, important study. Amen? Let's stand together for a minute. And this is what I want to just kind of end on. You know, I really, and I think I, think I showed my heart and my hand, you know, at the very beginning of the service, but I, I just really believe that this is something that the Lord's doing right now. Doing in our church, doing outside of our church, in the church at large, I just personally sense that God is, and who am I, I mean, to say that, but that God's wanting to reveal more of himself to us. He, he wants us, he wants to show more of himself to us. And, and I, for one, don't want to be a person, I don't want us to be a church, I don't want us to have this lackadaisical or just super, in a bad way, contentness with my walk with the Lord. I believe that there should be a holy discontent. And when there's not that holy discontent, that should actually be a red flag if I can go throughout my days, throughout my week, saying, I'm really not really that interested in drawing close to God or whatever. That should actually be like a warning sign to my soul saying, why am I not so desiring God right now? What is it about God that I wouldn't desire? In the presence of God is the fullness of joy. And it usually means that I'm filling up my life with other things and I'm just distracting myself and I'm just kind of, you know, the old analogy of just like you don't hunger for good food when you're filled up with junk food. And a lot of times, spiritually speaking, that's just how I am. I'll just be filled with TV and internet and this and that. Not even necessarily bad stuff, but stuff that just sucks all my time, all my energy, and just kind of puts me in this lull. And what I want is God to stir up a passion in my heart where I say like Moses, please, God, I need to see your glory. I need a fresh experience with you. I need, I want more of you in my life. I'm not okay with just going through the motions. I want a fresh experience. Yes, I use the word experience of you in my life. And so if you feel that same way, I want to just invite you to come down front right now. Get out of your seat. Come down front. And let's just spend a couple, we have five minutes. Let's just spend a little bit of time praying and asking God to do just that in our hearts. Maybe it's a confession of God. I 
don't feel that way but want to feel that way. And I, I didn't plan on doing this. So I have no idea how this is going to work. Let's just, but let's just do it anyway. Let's just come up here, and you lead us out in prayer. If you want to pray, this is your chance. You, but if you pray, you've got to understand the person on the other side of the room wants to hear what you're saying. So pray really loud. Pray out loud. We'll agree together. But let's just take a few minutes and seek God together and ask God to, to change our hearts together. Amen? If you want to get on your knees, get on your knees. If you want to stand, stand. But let's not... Just read the Bible and go our way. Let's actually do what it says. Let's actually say, God, work this into my life. Amen? Huddle in tight, guys. Let's come in tight. We're just family. It's all good. And, and just start praying. You know, pray under your breath. Pray to the Lord personally. But if you want to lead us out in a prayer, man, please do that right now. Just lead us out.